Hello, I'm Matt Kane, Editor-in-Chief of Attitude, back with another long and strong episode of Attitude Heroes. Today, I'm talking to one of the world's most famous openly gay sportsmen, Welsh rugby legend Gareth Thomas. As I'm sure you know by now, Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. To call Gareth Thomas a rugby legend is a bit of an understatement. He was capped for Wales a hundred times, was captain of his national team and scored 40 tries along the way. He is, without a doubt, one of his country's most celebrated sportsmen ever. Which is why when he came out publicly in 2009, accompanied by a very memorable cover shoot for Attitude, he was headline news everywhere. Gareth remains one of the most famous openly gay sportsmen in the world and today spends much of his time working to promote acceptance of homosexuality and sexual diversity in general. As an interviewee, he's great because he's passionate, unguarded and completely willing to talk about any aspect of his personal life, however lewd or embarrassing it might seem. I'll warn you quickly that he swears, like, well, he swears like a rugby player, but I'm sure you wouldn't be listening by this stage if you were that easily shocked. When I visited his home in South Wales, Gareth told me about the first time he realised he was gay. If I could be crude, probably in a jokey way, the, the last time I had a wank and I closed and saw my teacher and it was a man, not a woman. <laughs> then you think, right, okay, right, maybe it's different. The first time he actually got off with another man. It wasn't sex, like it wasn't sex. Blowjobs and Yeah, wanks, yeah. Though. Well, it, was, it wasn't even that, because like, like with my teeth, it's like I'm a blowjob of a fucking cheese grater. It was kind of like, <laughs> and I just didn't, didn't know what the fuck with a blow. Like, what do I do? And how a former editor of Attitude helped him come to terms with who he really was. That was definitely a crossroads moment to me, where all of a sudden being gay was all right. He is frank, funny, and filthy throughout. And he was an absolute joy to talk to. So grab your oddly shaped balls, get on your knees, and squeeze your head through another man's legs to welcome Gareth Thomas. That is what they do in rugby, right? Gareth, thank you for having girls <laughs> in Wales. Welcome to my humble little home. <laughs> it's very exciting to be here. Full of soft furnishings, candles, and low dim lighting. <laughs> Lots of faro and ball pens. Yeah, oh, mate, nobody can say I'm a stereotypical gay, that's for sure, but can they? At all, at all. It's fantastic, and I noticed, um, I was looking at your Twitter biography on the way here, and it says, I am Welsh before anything else. Yeah, that, that to me, right, um, I think I'd had a comment somewhere because when I came out, right, the box standard question was like, oh, do you like being classed as the gay rugby player? Or, you know, the first person in sport who's gay? And all of a sudden, I really felt like I was put into a category. And the reason I came out as gay was to be not in a category, just yeah. to be myself like. And if I, I thought to myself, do you know what? If anyone put, was going to put me in any kind of box or any kind of category, then it'd be Welsh. Because to me, it's the proudest thing. It's the proudest thing I am. Prouder than being gay. Oh, mate, I'm telling you now, right? <laughs> and, 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 it, and, and again, it kind of a lot of my, a lot of my pride um, comes with obviously representing my country. Okay, but do you know the response from people within Wales when I came out of my se- about my sexuality was the most overwhelming, supportive response I've had. Now, outside of Wales, and sometimes inside of Wales, like the people up in the valleys, um, there's some really hard done by areas, and you've got to be tough to live in some of these places. And people, for ridiculous reasons, sometimes think that if you're tough, then you can't be accepting of anything that's uh, different to what they are, so potentially straight. Um, But to me, the feelings like and the responses I had when I was walking up in the valleys... When I was up in the, these areas that people stereotypically think are, you know, anti-gay, was just honestly, but it was like phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. A lot of it had to do with the respect they had for me um, as a sportsman prior to the announcement, but also I think in the in the respect that 
honesty, like you go up to tough places and people, if you're honest with a lot of people, you know what I mean? They don't give a shit who you are or we what get you do. Respect, don't Massively. You? And tough doesn't necessarily mean insensitive, does it? Just because you're tough doesn't mean you don't understand people or. Oh shit! No, no, no. That's and that's the thing is, being tough is like a value, and values cover all kinds of things. And that's the thing with the people up in the in the valleys or in Wales for me is that. You know, a lot of people, it's a tough old um, environment to live in. And people just get on. They get on with each other. And they don't, you know, they don't really hold prejudices that that much. And, and, and my pride in being Welsh was fucking amplified so much by the fact that people were still proud to call me like the captain of Wales or... After you came out. After I came out. And I always, I always like say to people is that, you know, I became the most normal thing in my life. And that's all I ever wanted. Well, shall I tell you what as well? Besides the fact that we're in Wales, now you live in Wales, one thing that struck me on the way here was how rural it is. Uh, and um, you do get gay people who think it will be less accepted in Wales, but you also get a lot of gay people who think rural environments are less accepting. And that if you're gay, you have to move away to a big city uh, where it's more tolerant and there's more people like you. Uh, but actually... You live in a small village here, oh, don't you? It's... I live in a postage stamp of a village. It's, <laughs> it's fucking tiny. Um, so you're not... proving everything, all the expectations Mate, wrong. And, and the thing is, there's not a person around here who doesn't know who I am, who doesn't know my sexuality. But also there's not a person around here who, who really gives a shit either. Like, don't think there's a person in the world who doesn't know your sexuality, <laughs> <Yeah>. darling. <laughs> is it that bad? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but, I, I, you know, I feared it. I remember like, years ago before I came out, there's times where I would pack up my clothes, put them in a suitcase and think, OK, we're going to London. Because London was the only place I thought I could survive. Right, so can we get down to the nitty-gritty of this then? So when you grew up here, what kind of an environment was it for, uh, you say it was tough. Uh, what was it like? What kind of things did you hear about gays? Um, do you know what? I think the scariest thing was I never heard anything about gays. And that was probably scarier than hearing negative things about gays because I was growing up in an environment where literally the only person who I thought could have been gay was my mother's hairdresser. And that's because he had long hair. <laughs> <laughs> and was he gay? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I just can remember thinking, oh my God, that man's got long hair. He must be gay. That's I, interesting because he was different. Yeah, completely. And apart from like this, this hairdresser, I didn't really even know. I'd never came across a gay person in my entire life, male right. or female. All right, so how about that question that straight people always ask? When did you know oh, you classic. were gay? <laughs> classic, classic. Yeah, yeah, but from a, one gay man to another, I would actually yeah. be interesting to know that. How do you know you're gay if you've never met a gay person or you don't even know what it is? Um, if I could be crude, probably in a jokey way, the, the last time I had a wank and I closed and thought of my teacher, and it was a man, <laughs> not a woman. <laughs> then you think, right, okay. Like, maybe something's a bit different. Um, as crude as you want, darling. We love it on here. Um, so, but, you know, like, and again, because I, I, I got asked that question so often, I had to think of the answer and I had to kind of try and understand it because when you get asked that question on the spot, you prob probably give, like, a bog-standard answer. But for me, do you know what? Like, I, I knew I was different to everybody else who was around me for uh, all my life, basically. You know that first, don't you? You know what? You know that you're different before you know what makes you different. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I say, I had no idea. And then I had an idea of why I was different. Then I obviously had to suppress it and hide it. And then finally, I accepted the reason why I was different. I accepted the reason why I was gay. So it was kind of like these phases I went through. But um, all, like, I, all my life, I remember even in my schoolings of I, like having everyone, because I, I was such a sporty character, you know, you get put in the sport group and you have to play in all the, all the teams. You have to have your group hangs on with the, the, the prettiest girls. You have to have the girlfriends. You have to... Like, I love it how I'm looking at you and nodding like oh, I would know about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, surely you're the same. Surely it's the same. But that's literally how we went. And, you know, we'd be all together as boys and you'd be like, oh, you know, you're going out on a date with this one. What did you do this? And you get, like, peer pressured into kind of having to go through certain things to stay within the group. Um, and I always find in that, for me, that was, like, tough. Everybody was kind of happily moving on with their lives. 
and going through these processes you do as kids. But for me, it was always a force. So there was no, even in your social group, there was no allowance or possibility of any other alternative? No, well, I'll say there was an allowance, but if there was, I'd be kicked out of the group. Like, and my life would have been fucking hell. You know, I went to school up in the valleys, up in Ogmore Valley. Um, and again, like the thought of even being, like, we bullied kids who were intelligent for yeah, being intelligent. No, no. That's like, the kind of kid that I was, Oh, my God, you should have been in our school. <laughs> We'd have bullied the shit out of you. God, I wasn't. <laughs> and, and that was the thing, is I didn't want to give any difference because any form of difference was was targeted. And outside of being in the rugby team, the basketball team, the cricket team, the swimming team, outside of that, people were ostracised and people were alienised. And also, it was kind of this thing of, like, Tradition as well, you know, like tradition within your family and upholding tradition and so you're being disloyal make, by being different. Well, and and making your parents proud of you, making your family proud of you, being in the first fifteen in school, being in district teams, your parents almost become competitive with the parents of the kids you're playing with at school because you know they want you to be representing. Um, something better. So all of a sudden it becomes this kind of intertwined thing of where you want to keep pleasing people. Um, You want your parents to be proud of you. You want the people around you to be supportive of you. And it just feels, or it felt like to me, the only way of doing that was through the medium of sport, therefore being the same as everybody else. To what extent were you so keen to impress your parents because you were worried about losing their love if they found out the truth about you? Uh, hugely. Like, the thing is, I always know and I'll always remember like the sacrifices my mum and dad made for me and my two brothers to have the best opportunities in life. Now, my, my mother always says, like when people say to my mother, did you not know he was gay? And she goes, do you know what? Bringing up three fucking kids is hard work you just have to on, on the fucking breadline. So she said, I never focused all my time on Gareth. So I had two other boys. And they, my mum and dad always say, like, we were both full-time working parents. We worked our balls off to make sure all our sons had all the opportunities that they could possibly have. Now, to focus on Gareth and to know he was gay, she didn't have fucking time. She didn't have the time to do it. So she spread evenly... Um, all three of us. So I, I, I saw sacrifices they made, right? Um, and again, it would have been so much like hassle that I would have personally gone through, that they would have gone through you would have with me. On that. Yeah, that would have inflicted on my brothers. That do you know what? At that at that time, I was like, I was still unsure, um, but also. I know it would have made such an impact on the household. All right, so that's about pleasing your parents and going the extra mile because you know there's something about you that might not please them. Uh, How about, to what extent do you think your attraction to rugby and a really masculine sport, how how much do you think that was inspired by your attempts to be as masculine as possible to make up for your gayness that you um, thought was unmasculine? Lords, because, like, for me... I I love rugby. I've always have. It's not like a game I play. It's a part of who I am. Um, You know, people turn on the telly and see a sport. I turn on the telly and, like, you know, I see something completely different. I see a representation of a fucking country, of a country I'm real proud of, of a nation I'm real proud of. So I always had, like, this massive passion. But I've always said, like, in a weird way, being gay and the struggle with being gay was a big part in the reason why I was successful. Because when I would play, because I knew I was different, then I would always make sure I was the fucking hardest one in the team. Yeah, and if yeah, anyone yeah, yeah. messed with me, then they, they, you know, they'd know it. I'd always make sure I would can be the one who was the fittest, who was the fastest, who was the strongest, who could... Because if I was up there when it came to that, then being different... Would, wouldn't equate it wouldn't it wouldn't match up so people would see this fucking really physically strong guy doing crazy stuff and think wow he's not different he's fucking special well it's also um you know there's difference but it's also being made to feel there's something wrong with you so wanting to prove to the world and your mum and dad and yourself uh, that you are good enough well so you, you become an overachiever this is what a lot of girls yeah do. I, yeah but also you know what there was a part of me as well that realized 
And this is this is kind of a weird thing to say, but it was always something I always felt, and it was more later on in my career. But I always, when I was successful, or my strive to success was always based upon the fact that you know what, to go till say I have a good innings till like seventy five, right? And I've kept this secret hidden as I was feeling then. Do you know what? It's it's fucking it's a slim old chance. So I always knew in the back of my mind, right? That if it if it, my difference ever was revealed, then I would have been so fucking successful and achieved as much as I possibly could have achieved that in some way, shape or form, people will take my difference and realise that, do you know what? He still fucking achieved though. Well, it the protects difference. you. Your yeah. achievement protects massively, you. Massively, massively. And it... And so, so in that case, if you had been a shit rugby player and you were playing for some crap Sunday team, <laughs> would you have got the same response when you came out? Um, <laughs> I would like to think so. I'll never know because it it, ne- it never happened. Um, but I do have, I do have massive faith in um, in sport, in why people support sport, um, and also massive faith in in in. Welsh people in general as a culture and as people who live on values and I say to me the most important value of all is honesty and if if people are honest you know what again life wasn't fucking a bed of roses for me like I I had shit as well but ultimately um, the good far outweighed that and somebody who's on a grassroots level will have shit but the good will outweigh it. Right, let's talk about the difficult stuff and the, and the, all that in a bit, but can we just stick with when you were growing up? Because you say you didn't meet any gay people, you didn't see any gay people, apart from possibly this hairdresser. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about, who was the first gay person that you remember? Do you remember seeing a gay person on telly? Or? Yeah, I remember Kenny Everett. Kenny Everett was on telly a lot. Um, there was the guy... So how did you feel when you saw Kenny Everett? Did you think he's one of my people, or were you repulsed? No, no, I was. I wasn't repulsed. I was. The interesting was I would look for the reactions within the house of my mum and dad and my brothers. Like they would never shout, "Oh, there's a puff on the telly," or "That's disgusting." That cringes me. And in a way, it's probably what Kenny Everett was trying to do. And the guy from Off, oh, Are You Being Saved? John Inman. John Inman. Mr. Humphreys. There was. There was him. Um, Although he was never, interestingly, Gareth, he was never um, explicitly gay. No, but he was very he camp. He was just very calm. Yeah. And, and what, mean, we all knew. Yeah, and we? I think but, what he got was what their roles were there for. They were kind of like to be laughed at. And because I was watching it from probably a different view than everybody else, when people would laugh at these people, even just for the way they're talking um, and the actions they're doing then it would make me feel like, you know, is this what all gay people are like? And is this what being gay is? You just get laughed at all the time and you get mocked and you have no serious standing. And the only way you're going to be successful in life is, you know, if you like release, release your inner queen and become very camp and then potentially get on telly or be like standing on a stage saying jokes. And it's not, it's not what I wanted. That's well, not what I wanted. Well, you become the butt of it. But a lot of gay men used to purposefully become the butt of yeah, it. Oh, that, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I have no doubt that probably still to this day um, people do. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think like to think we moved on from all that. But um, ultimately as a kid sitting there, it does make kind of like a mockery and it, nothing, you know, if it was a simple equation, a simple math sum that you had to come up with, nothing would add up, like nothing would equate to, to me who I was and where I wanted to go in my life. Well, that's also partly because of not just the gay thing, but talking about masculinity. And um, there's obviously a lot of discussion on, our, on the Attitude social media feeds. There's constant discussion about the you know the pressure to be more mask because it's more attractive to gays and uh, people being shamed because they're camp or femme. Uh, um, so you're the only visible gay people you saw were the really camp ones. Yeah. So a lot of gays feel kind of repulsed. Yeah. And um, that campness, they you know if they meet, what would you have been like? Do you think if I so I obviously am slightly less mask than you are, <laughs> only slightly. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd been at your school, yeah, you would have. Picked on me because I was clever. But would you, how would you have felt if you'd met a, a camp 
very obviously gay man, do you think? I, do you know what? For it? Honestly, I wouldn't have had a clue. Like, in the school I went to, I would not have known or understood um, anything about being camp. Like, I would just... I, I never, ever, ever came across it in my entire childhood life. Like, never, which is... Which is kind of sad because there must have been, you know, other gay children growing up um, that were probably like withholding and, yeah, and yeah. that that and it's 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 kind of sad. But like, I got gay friends who are who are really who are really camp and literally like for me, um, I don't like I can see way past it all. Like I, when people say or. Oh, they want to be more masculine or what? It's like, be who the fuck you are, like. No, it's just it, bullshit, isn't that's it? fucking bollocks. Like, just be. Why would the you fuck try to be anything? Yeah, it's, 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 you know what? It's the most tiring and hardest fucking thing in your life to try and be anything else that you're not. And I know, I know straight men, like straight men who are fucking campus Christmas, but. And like relaxed about it, it yeah, yeah, they know because that... they they're confident in their own sexuality, yeah. and it doesn't matter if people like question their sexuality because they camp. It's like, do you know what? That's fine, but you usually find, and this is like going way back again to the acceptance of people is is when people are more secure in their own sexuality and who they are, then they can just be them fucking selves and not have to worry about what other people's opinions are. I tell you what's difficult though, if you so if you're growing up in this world and there's no gays around, never mind any positive. Um, gays, but um, when you first started being attracted to men, you, so you mentioned wanking over the teacher, <laughs> presumably all your wank fantasies were straight men. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, 100%, because, you know, you can't imagine sitting down and having a wank over Kenny Everett when everybody, <laughs> when, when everybody in the room prior to it was laughing and mocking him, it was kind of like, yeah. it's not something you would have done um, yeah. ever, so yeah, I, I think apart from seeing the like diversity of 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 people um yeah i would never have come across anybody adult or or child who was in any way camp at all so who else did you fancy when you were growing up apart from Uh, the teacher well when i was growing up i think because i was i was so far kind of um i don't know what the fuck not wanting to be good yeah um now I fancied every fucker <laughs> because <laughs> because it was kind of like I'm never gonna nothing's ever gonna happen anyway, so I just fucking fancy everyone instead. So it's but great. is it that part of being a teenager when you well, just <laughs> yeah? But I, I think even I think even when you're kind of accepting of who you are as a teenager, I think there are boundaries that you wouldn't cross. But I think because I wasn't accepting of who I was, then it was probably a case of if I could take what I could get. So <laughs> there are no boundaries. <laughs> so who was the first man that you kissed or got off with? Um, so the first man that I kind of was intimate with was um, actually when I was a postman. It was the most fucking awkward time ever. Oh my God, this is like someone out of a porn film. You were uh, a postman. And yeah, I, 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 so I was a postman. So I was, <laughs> I was del- delivering letters. And then there was this guy who came out because I'd posted like his uh, letter through the door and it hadn't kind of gone through the door correct. So I thought he was going to come out and say so you didn't put it all the way through. Like You sent him very yeah. carry on now. I swear, but <laughs> so he came out and I'm standing there and there was this... Like, I was kind of like, oh, fucking hell, what's going on here? And they was, was he fit? So you're talking about being desperate, but was he actually fit? Um, put it this way now, I wouldn't touch him with a shitty <laughs> stick if I really <laughs> seen him now, but, but like, that's how desperate I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he invited me in, and we kind of had this, um, like, it, it was the most awkward sex ever. It's like, I, but how did you... Right, so just a minute. So like, how old were you at the time? 17, just going on 18. So, so how does he just... How do you go about inviting a 17-year-old right. man in for sex when there's nobody anywhere in the surroundings who's gay and nobody yeah. knows what gay means? Yeah, well, so I, I hadn't posted the letter and so he came out and then he said, oh, would you like a cup of tea? Because it was like a freezing cold, ridiculously early morning. And I was like, oh, yeah, OK. And... Did I you spot it, something in his eye? Did you? I, I genuinely, genuinely have no fucking idea what it was. Like, I genuinely don't know what. May, maybe there's people listening to this will be like, "Well, I was your gay dad," but whatever it is, I don't know. But there was this. There wasn't an attraction. There definitely wasn't an attraction. But there was this feeling that holy shit, something might happen here. Um. So we went in. 
Um, you must have been terrified. Well, I thought he was going to give me a cup of tea and like a plastic cup and I'll take it away. But he gave me like a cup of tea and a mug and I'm like, oh, fuck. Right, I can't just take your mug. So I, um, so, I sat, so I sat down, he sat next to me and it was just like this weird thing of, you know, I suppose even now if you do it, like when you go for a date and like, like you, somebody's knee touches your knee and you think, oh, I'm on. Electricity. Yeah. And that. Well, I wouldn't say it was fucking electricity. I was like, right, okay, what's happening now? And then I pulled my knee away and then he'd pull, pull his knee closer. I was like, oh, fuck, all right, okay. Um, and then we just started, I ended up having like the most awkward, um, random, like, I don't even know if you can... It, was, it wasn't sex. Like, it wasn't sex. Blowjobs and Yeah, yeah. Them. Well, it, it wasn't even that, because, like... <laughs> like, with my teeth, it's like, I'm the blowjob of a fucking cheese grater. It was kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> and I just didn't, didn't know what the fuck with a blow... Like, what do I do? Like, I literally never... But in those days, we didn't have any internet. I don't know if I knew what a blowjob well, was. Well, I generally... Like, I, I, I can honestly remember, and this was kind of after it, was I remember, honestly, for a while, I was like, with a blowjob, do I blow... Yeah, no. Or do no. I suck? I don't know. Like, why would you call it a blowjob if you suck? <laughs> like, I didn't, I don't know. And I can imagine, like, a fucking down and blowing. It's always like, what the fuck are you doing? So you didn't give him a blowjob? So I didn't give him a blowjob because I didn't know what it was. It was more of like this mutual wanky thing. Uh, but then after that, because it, 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 like, from that then, though, it was, it got quite horrible because I remember going home and obviously nobody knew what I'd done. And it was, it was literally like, I literally felt like the most dirtiest person alive because all of a sudden I'd had all these, like I'd had all these feelings for such long, but I'd never acted on it. So it was, it was suppressed, but it was okay because it was just in my head. But all of a sudden now it become a reality and, and it was fucking really scary because it was like, I don't know, opening Pandora's box. You're just kind of like, fuck, what have I done? Like, what have I started you? Um, and I show, I fucking scrubbed myself, like literally scrubbed myself. Well, can I, right, so I, I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, as a straight person, if as a 17-year-old you'd had your first sexual experience with an older person you didn't find attractive, um, you're not going to feel great about yourself afterwards. But um, it's interesting, isn't it, that with us... There's never this joyful, innocent, simple sexual awakening. It's always uh, tied up with terror, disgust, feeling uh, that everybody's going to turn against you. It's such a... Those are, if you associate that with sex, it's such an unhealthy association. Yeah. I, 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 th I think, again, for me and maybe a lot of people, it comes, it comes from the fact of acting on something that's only... has been okay because it's a fantasy. And I think the minute you act on something, first of all, it's never... It's never anything like the way you imagined it. Um, so all of a sudden it becomes this kind of horrible, disgusting thing that you've gone through and you don't really want to go through again. You know, I'm sure a lot of people who have been so accepting of sexuality um, have had experiences where they think, oh my God, I want it to be like that forever. And the reality is, you know, it can be, but I think when you suppress something, it's a very, it's a very kind of like, God, oh, fucking just get it out of the way. Like, just get it fucking over with because I'm not, I, I wasn't really accepting of it. So the fact I was doing it was, like I say, such a fucking scary feat that I had to overcome um, for anything to get better. But at that stage, it was something that I just thought I'd never, ever want to do again. Well, you'd done something really brave by being brave enough to explore your sexuality, but... At the same time, that opens up a lot of terror. And you feel like if you've been trying to cover it up for so long and trying to be straight, you feel like you've let yourself down. Well, uh, and also I think what you give, you you give other people kind of cards out of your stack. So basically this guy who I didn't know um, and didn't really, you know, I was only a like 17-year-old local decent rugby player at that time. Somebody else had power over a secret that I'd held for such a long time. Um, and that scared the shit out of me. It's like, you know, oh my God, I'm going to walk walk in the office tomorrow and this postman, oh, this guy would have told the postman who was going around the day after and all of a sudden it'd be everywhere. So you somebody... sleep and you... So, yeah, somebody else had power over this secret of mine. Um, that scared the shit out of me. Well, it's no, it's no wonder that you ended up wanting to be straight and you just wanted that gayness to go away. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, I, I, you know, um, when I listen to all my mates then and they talk about, oh, you know, I was with my missus last night and they could all of a sudden talk about all their experiences and, 
you know, um, chat about life in general. And all of a sudden I had this like really dirty hidden secret that I'd kind of had to keep from everybody else. It just made that that was that was the one thing again. And I would make me feel like right outside of the fence and the circle of trust. So when you so you go overboard to be really masculine and a high achiever and to put people off the scent, you became the toughest on the team and all this, as you were saying before. But did you also presumably start shagging girls? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was never the most natural thing I've ever done. It was it, it was always something that like the rest of the boys, basically, it was it was so natural to them and they understood what pretty girls were. Um, and they understood what ugly girls were. And I got that, I kind of got that, but it was never anything natural to me. Um, and I would always see these girls, um, and it was really weird, because I would always like, oh, she's such a nice person, she's such a good laugh. And the boy's like, what the fuck? She's a shag. And I'm like, no, she's brilliant. I'll go and have a chat with her. Honestly, she's got the best personality ever. And they're like, oh, fuck off, Thomas. You know, I'd be like really in-depth and I'd be like agony aunt and chatting to them and really getting to know them. Um, and and they were probably just wanting to shag you. Yeah, and I was like, that was not the way I was supposed to play it. It was not the way. Okay, so right. So if so, when you had early sexual experiences with men and you felt disgust and shame afterwards because you were letting yourself down, when you shagged a girl, did you feel good about yourself because you were proving you were normal? Or did you also feel like you were letting yourself... What? I, I, I just felt that that, to be honest, was the normality of growing up. And it's what girls deemed kind of as normal it's a notch on my bedpost which is something I can go and tell the boys about um, which will make me feel normal towards them it was never really apart from you know whenever I was with girls it was never really about what I would get out of it it's about what I could tell the boys about which would increase my masculinity to them Um, so for me put them off the scent yeah and for me it was just like I was doing it to tell the boys and I always thought teenage girls were doing it to tell to tell the girls. To, for me, that was it was the most unnatural thing. But that's what I thought it was. It was like we'll do this. And I'll tell my mates. You do this. You tell your mates. Then everybody's like happy. You know, we're both growing up. This is how life's supposed to be. We grow up together, impressing our mates, shagging each other, uh, talking about it, having a drink. Normal life, normal upbringing, that's what I thought it was. It's so funny, isn't it, the skewed ideas that we have growing up gay in a straight world about what constitutes normal relationships yeah. and normal sexual, yeah. you it, know, sexual life. I, and I, it, for me, it was all kind of like, um, it was all picked up on traits from all the individuals around me. So I take traits that I thought were strong traits from every individual and try and put them all together to create my kind of falseness in front of them. So everything that I thought was strong about each person I would take and use because my nothing God. was natural to me. So the, so it was like a full-time job. Oh, just mate, fucking so tiring, like ridiculously full-time job. Unbelievably draining and unbelievably tiring. Of, and even when you're out on the piss having a drink. But what happens when you get really pissed and you, and you go to shit and your defences come down? Nah, never. Mate, life was too precious. Life was too precious. Not, not... There's no amount of drink in this world that would ever let me bring that guard down. My life and where I wanted to go in my life was was like deep, deep in the core, and you'd have to, you couldn't even like there was no way you'd have got to it ever. And obviously, you got married to a woman. Yeah. Um, so was was this part of kind of keeping people? I mean, obviously, we don't want to be disrespectful no. to her, but uh, was this part of keeping people off the scent? Um, and and she we like we've obviously spoken about it and she yes to a point um and it's always this weird thing that i find some people when they haven't um had to kind of lie or had to do something that they feel is 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 a necessity they don't quite get it because you know like we live in right so we live in a society right where everybody says you know what it's what's on the inside that counts. Everybody's kind of like says it, but nobody really fucking ever well, preaches it. on Instagram, ogling people's bods. Yeah, but but everybody's like, oh, do you know what? You you, you like you don't marry someone or fall in love with somebody and stay with them for the rest of their life because they fucking look good. Because you could wake up one morning and they haven't got their makeup on, they look like shit. So that's <laughs> that's that's kind of like the reality of it, right? And and I I always said is like me and Jem, right? Is 
I felt that she was one person who fucking really understood who I was as a person. But how could she really understand who you were as a person if she didn't get that you were gay? Because there was so much more... Because being gay, to me at that time, it never really... It was, it, I was I was so much more than just being gay as well. Like, I was hiding my sexuality, which was very difficult. But also, like, I needed a friend, you know? I needed somebody who I could, I could talk to about other things that were going on in my life. And somebody that will put an arm around me when I fucking really need to have a cuddle. And you know what? It doesn't have to be a man. Sometimes you're going to close your eyes and she would put my arm, her arms around me, right? And literally, I would feel like I was fucking un, untouchable. So she had so much love to give. And you must have felt so uh, loved and so loved. Yeah, I, I felt so loved by her um, that what happened in a really fucking bizarre way, obviously, there's a part of me that was attracted to her. But when I really got to know her, I fucking loved it to bits. Like every, like I've got best friends who I love to bits. Like my best mate Compo, I fucking love him to bits. Like I wouldn't touch him with a fucking barge pole. Compo, is, Compo. He, is he gay or straight? Oh, he's straight. Oh, All fucking right. hell, <laughs> He's the straightest man on this planet. Um, so, but, so, I w- so I wouldn't touch him with a fucking barge pole. But ultimately I love him to bits. And that's what happened. I was attracted to Gemma, but fuck, I loved, I loved her more than I was attracted to her. And I married her because I fucking loved it to bits and I really wanted my life to be with her. But, interestingly, at the same time, these gay feelings don't go away. No. I always think it's like when you've got an inflatable in a swimming pool and you keep trying to push it down and it keeps bobbing up yeah. to the surface. Yeah. So you could... So am I, I'm right, am I right in thinking you used to go to London and yeah. have, like, take on a different name? And yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Weird as hell. Yeah. So, so go on, Max. So tell us about this weirdness. So when was the first time you went... So when was the first time you decided to do that? You must, your heart must have been... So we went, we went to London. I was lucky with the rugby scene because the sport would always take us away for weekends. Um, and I went to London on a weekend and the game was, the game was cancelled and we just had a weekend in London, basically. So when you say we, you and all the team, yeah, all all the team, all the boys. But I, I kind of like, I just basically went off. We had a couple of drinks, and then I went off. I thought, fuck this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what life is about, like living in London. What so is you were emboldened about. by a few drinks. So I had a couple of drinks. We went down to we. I then went into because we stayed not staying far from Central London. So I went into Soho. Um, <gasps> what was it like? Oh man. It's, it's like one of the most scariest but liberating experiences of my entire life. I, um, you know, I always ask people about their first night uh, of the air scene in these interviews because I think it's Yeah, oh, but, uh, but I, the thing is, I was still shitting myself because even though, like, rugby is nowhere near as big now, um, the coverage on telly was nowhere near as big now, I just felt like I still have to hide. Like, for me... To protect myself, I still have to hide. And I went to... There were no camera phones in those days. No, no, no. I was lucky, mate. I was lucky about that. And I, went, I remember going to a bar and for some fucking bizarre reason, I went to the guy and I said to him in a French accent... Because <laughs> you were trying to cover it? Because I was trying to cover up who I am. Like this guy in the bar. Do a French accent now? Can you still do it? I, I, I was, I'm like the fucking... Um, the guy <laughs> off a lower law, you know, like the policeman <laughs> off a lower... I was like, uh, could I have a uh, Stella Adwoa, please? <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. And he came and he said how much he was and I just got a handful of change out. You know, like you always do abroad. You and I just, I just put a handful of change out and let him t- take the money as if I didn't know how to count. And I stood there in the bar um, and I had this can and I went to Compton's bar. Oh, my God, you went straight into the... Yeah, well, I didn't know. i just seen, right, OK, there's fucking people in there, <laughs> so at least I can get lost in the crowd in there. I can get lost. <laughs> so I went in there, and, and I actually, I remember thinking there, and it was quite, it was quite like, sad because I started missing everyone. I realised I was on my own. It was, first of all, it was kind of like, it was quite erotic because it was very cruisy. Um, but also, it was just fucking really lonely. And because I... I'm shit on my own. I'm re- I struggle being on my own anyway. And I was just thinking to myself, how fucking hell is like so many lonely people here? Um, that, like, where do these all go from here? Like, do they come here and then do they leave and they all got lives like me and they all hide who they are? Um, God, everything you discovered about what it meant to be gay was negative, wasn't it? But I had a great experience then because I went across the Admiral Duncan. 
And you got off with somebody? No, I didn't. No, I, oh, <laughs> fuck no. Oh, my God, no, I didn't. But I walked in there and it was... It was nowhere near, like, as cruisy an atmosphere. It was really fucking cabaret. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, and it, it was... It, honestly, it was, like, this feeling of celebrating, like, people actually celebrating fucking life. And I was like, oh, wow. So I'd had a few in there, and that was it. But it was, I, I did go back and forth. Um, and I did have, like, this kind of sexual experience. But, again, all fucking really, really naff. And I, I thought that that was, that was it, that street... That life, that's it. Nothing happens outside of that. Just a minute. When you say sexual experiences that were old enough, so you mean that they were kind of dirty and you Yeah, like shows. fumbled, like go to the toilet, you have a piss and somebody standing next to you. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like... like Gross. Yeah, it? It, it's, it's, it's... But it's... Well, the thing is, what I found at the time, and for me, it was like, okay, it, it, it works because I don't want to get to know anybody. I'm married. I've got a life at home. Like, I don't want to have a relationship with anyone. I don't want to be intimate with anyone. I just want to get rid of this, this urge. And to be honest, you just fuck off from, off from here and be with my friends. So you just wanted to empty your sack and go? Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a big sack oh, I had. No, no. <laughs> I, was, I was like, Father fucking Christmas. <laughs> With a really full sack. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it, though? Oh, but, but it's it, horrible to talk about it in these ways. But, but, but the thing is, it's, it's because it's, it's like... It's, it's like it's lifeless, it's soulless. There's no, like, depth to... There's no depth to any of it. Um... And did you ever did you ever go home with anybody or stay in a hotel with anybody when you met them inside? I, I had w one night. I went back to um, a, the hotel that I'd booked with somebody, and again, it was it was very like all pathetic. It was all pathetic because it's, it was just, it was just it was nothing to do with with any depth. It was just well, sex and love and emotion are completely separate, yeah aren't they? yeah. But when you have somebody at home that you love and a life that you love and are really proud of, then, you know, when you go away and do something, then that's ultimately what you miss. So it just becomes this thing that you need to to completely get out of the way and your life and everything else is back home. And it, you realise that there's a time where you're going to have to come home and look my wife in the eye like, and, and blatantly lie to her um, and get on with get on with life, and that's not a fucking easy thing to do either. Well, and in your head, you've got good Gareth and bad Gareth, yeah. and you're trying to be one and not the other. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the because I got a nickname, uh, Alfie. Oh yeah, I'm saying Gareth, but nobody calls yeah. you that. No, they? and 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 it became like a really strong identity. It was my nickname, and and that was kind of I, I managed somehow to like split the characters of kind of even though I. I'd, pretend to be foreign and stuff. It was kind of like a Gareth and an Alfie, because in Wales, everybody knew me as Alfie, but if I went to London, I would never call myself Alfie to anyone. It's like Jordan and name. Katie Price. <laughs> <laughs> so one is I, I think I had a bit more depth than I often <laughs> So one is the person you wanted to be and one is the person you didn't want to be. Um, do you know what? Ultimately, the person I, 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 who I wanted to be was both, but without having to, to tell a lie. Like, they both really represented who I was um, and I wanted to be honest about the two people uh, who I was but I just felt that literally the, there was an acceptance in London of, of the Gareth and there was an acceptance in Wales of, of Alfie and I couldn't be one in London and one, the other down here, it just wouldn't have worked. Okay, we're going to come on to talking about when you did start to be honest and um, you did get that identity right. You did start to be both people. But let's just have a quick pause. And your dog is it's barking, barking at the door. In. Yeah. Let's have a little break. I'll go see him now. Cheers. Gareth's dog, by the way, is called Boyo. And we'll be hearing more from him in part two. We'll also hear how Gareth got used to the gay scene with a little help from his straight friends. My first experience of knowing that the dark room is in there was the fact that my straight mate was in it for 20 minutes having his nipples tweaked. <laughs> Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. 
Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. It's time to get back to Gareth and his very energetic dog, Boyo. But first, a quick reminder that Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. Now, let the second half begin. Oh, I'm really getting the hang of all these rugby terms. So we've talked about your illicit trips to London and how it was your dirty little secret, your sexuality. Can we now move forward to when you came out publicly? Yeah. December 2009, on the cover of Attitude, the world's yes. best gay magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and you were the first professional rugby union player to come out. Yeah. So, so was there any... What were the steps that led to you coming out? Or was it more that you'd... Were you inspired to come out by something? Or was it more that you got to a point where it was about survival? You had to... Without a show, it was, it was life or death for me. Um, and there was a... So I, I was represented at the time, and I still am. He's al- he always has been. I hate the word, like, a manager, because it sounds like... I'm, I'm sounds very talk. London and it's, not yeah, very... Yeah, oh, God, yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I'm so far away from that. It's unreal. But I had finally been honest with him, and um, I told my parents and everybody, my wife and all that, like, ages and ages before, um, long, long time before, years even. Um, well, you're not getting off the hook with that. I want to go back and Okay, that's that. right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. So, I'd, But I said to him, anyway... Because obviously my wife, my wife had left me then, and shit was all falling apart on me. And I'd slowly found this this friendship of people, um, and I'd thought of taking it to a, another level by telling them and having a good response. And from everyone who had a good response, I felt I could go to another one and tell them that I really trusted. Um, now he never saw like he never saw an opportunity, but it was a case of. This is your manager. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, my manager. It was a case of like times were changing. Social media was getting more relevant. Um, I was quite a, quite accepting of who I was, um, and it just it literally just felt that if I told someone else and told someone else that I want to be public about it, then it takes control away from me and sometimes that's easier like when you make a decision that's really difficult if you give it to somebody else then it becomes a lot easier because you haven't got to go through all the shit of it you just tell somebody else um you tell somebody else you want to openly do it that's a big trust though isn't it if you would if you were worried when you were younger about losing control of your secret you're actually all these years later you're handing over that control to somebody yeah because i i firstly i changed who i was so i'd become quite accepting who i of who i was so even though it was it was it was a scary thing, it's also it also actually it was a bit of a shit house thing as well because it, it made things easier. You pass things over to everyone else. As I remember, like years and years prior to that, if I thought somebody was going to find out I was gay, it was like, oh fucking hell, that means I am going to tell them, and they'll tell everyone else for me because they'll just be gossips. So it kind of makes things weirdly easier that you haven't got to, you haven't got to do it. So. He basically contacted um, the relevant people to for the story, um, and I always remember the night before it ca- it came out, um, ringing him and saying, "Mate, I can't do it." I, and this is why I needed him to do it. I was like, "Mate, I can't do it. I fucking can't. I literally can't. I'm going to be crucified." And did you know you were going to be like that? And that's why you had to give control yeah, to him. Yeah, because I knew I'd changed my mind. But when I before I did the photos and everything, I met. The legendary Matthew Todd. Love Toddy. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know what? But I swear, I can remember we sat in some. It was in somebody's house. Um, it was, and I remember sitting down in front of, like the first, gay person that I'd really ever, had like a meaningful conversation with. So you didn't have any gay friends? Then? No shit. No, no, no gay friends at all. I'm um, still very much like say like I didn't really have. 
um, a knowledge, really, of any gay people still, really. So you met Toddy, he's a total stranger, and you start a telling him all these intimate... Mate, a, a total stranger, but... Um, just you know, you know, there's people in your life, and they come into your life, and all of a sudden, like the f- and I and I like I got no shame saying it, like the fucking room lights up. There's like an honesty to somebody. There's a compassion. There's empathy, and I was I was just I just thought shit in hell. Like this is somebody who I fucking try. I never met him before in my life, but I think what he saw in me was like this vulnerability and this fear that maybe he had had in the past or he's probably seen an umpteen amount of people that he'd interviewed and he just knew how to fucking deal with it. Well, that must... If you'd had all these negative representations of gayness and negative experiences and everything you'd seen was negative and then you meet a nice gay yeah. person who's welcoming and friendly yeah. and understanding, I can see why that was so, made such an impact on you. Um, and, and to this day, like, literally to this day, or to my grave, I will never forget... Firstly, the time I met him, but also, like, talking to him. Because it was, you know, I think in life, if you can, maybe even one hand, count of moments that, like, define where you've gone in life. Because it's not many, like, times you'll come to a crossroads and you, you'll be, decide to take a left or right. You'll come to many roundabouts where you can just go off wherever you want. But, like, there's crossroads, and at them crossroads you make a decision based on somebody else's input into your life. Um, I think if you have five of them in your life and you go in the right direction, then you're, you're, you're doing well. And that was definitely a crossroads moment to me where all of a sudden being gay was all right. It was okay because there were people, there were people out there, um, I felt, that weren't just all about sex. You know, it wasn't all about... Um, random meetings and having sex. It was all of a sudden normal. It was I was somebody in front of me who was accepting of his life, had been through shit himself, but was accepting of who he was. Um, and he just made everything seem all right. And previous to that, in your world, everything wasn't all right, was it? You'd split up with your wife, you'd, yeah. you'd tried to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah. You were like the lowest of the low. Oh, mate, life was shit. It was, it was, it was really, really bad. And I, there was a time I met Toddy, I wasn't, I wasn't at the bottom anymore. I'd started to yeah. get out of it. What do you think brought you out? You know, when people talk about suicide attempts, what do you think it was that stopped you from going through with any of those attempts? What got you through it? Um, a big thing of my family, and even even though I didn't want my family like to kind of hear who I was, deep down, like a lot of it, deep down, like surfacely, it can say I wanted to kill myself. But it's 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 this weird thing. I think unless you speak to people really who've like attempted suicide. It's not really something people understand. It for, for me, I didn't want to die. I just wanted to close my eyes and I didn't want to open them again. And there's there's like this big difference there. You want yet, the shit to go away. Yeah, but I, but I, I, I don't want to like not hear my mum and dad's voice anymore. I don't want to not hear them laugh, but I just don't want to fucking open my eyes because everything I've seen was was horrible. Um, so it was it was this kind of weird thing of I wanted to try because I wanted to the thought of being able to close my eyes, but I didn't actually really want it to die. I really wanted to fucking live, but I just didn't know how to live being me. Mm. Really didn't know how to live being me, and that was fucking so frustrating. And presumably, I mean, we've not actually talked much about rugby because you can tell that I'm not a very sporty <laughs> person, but presumably um, you felt that rugby was not a world that um, it, were, it would be very easy to come out. No. Presumably you were worried about reactions from teammates and fans on the stands. And... Yeah, I was, yeah, I was worried. There's, you know, I was worried about... There, there, was a game that, there was a game that defined who I was. It defines the country I come from. And like I said, at the, at the core of me is Welsh. You thought you'd lose that identity? I thought I'd lose it all. I thought I'd lose the fact that people respected who I was, respected what I'd done, all the hard work I'd put in together would be lost. Um, my teammates, my coaches, uh, my family, the fact my old man would go on a Sunday morning to the pub with the jersey with my name on the back. All of a sudden, like, is that going to fucking stop? Um, so everything, the fear of fucking everything I created and everything I wanted to create in my life and wanted to be gone. 
So, uh, so right. So you start to get the courage to tell people, but it, am I right in thinking the first person you told was your wife? Yeah, first was no. So that must have been the hardest of the lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, it, and the thing is, it didn't. It didn't really get easier so much as, like, as the first couple of people I told was my wife, um, and that was, um, that was that was just strange because she cried. She cried. First of all, she cried. Um, then kind of screamed. Then really attacked me. So she was angry at you. Yeah, angry at me. Because it's about it's, it's about lying, lying to her and, and not yeah, just yeah. coming out as gay. Yeah, and 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 also there, but there was this like um, sense of like not understanding it. It's kind of you can't fuck. You can't like I can't I can't fathom out how you can be gay. You can't be gay. Like we're married. We. Sleep Sorry. together. We we've like we've tried to have children together. It's like you cannot be fucking gay. How can you be gay? Um, well, you did such a good job of covering it up. Yeah, and and also the thing is, I don't like for somebody who you're so close with, you can't just say, "Oh, look, I got something to tell you. I'm gay," and that's it. Like you can't just fucking end it there. It it, it takes a a long long time of kind of understanding and actually really getting to know who I really was then because I'd been like this character for to everybody for such a ridiculous long time. By the way, I should point out that we've now got your six-month-old puppy yes. in the room with us on your knee. Yeah, if this heavy breathing, it's not me, right? <laughs> it's him, it's him. Well, I bet he's going to listen to some stories his dad's got to tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, you're still go so you've told your wife you're still going to London. Um, was it all still dirty and disgusting? When did it start to be... Less dirty and disgusting. Um, I think because I'd only known of like Soho and them them streets, uh, the area and the Compton's pub and stuff. I remember there was a, a guy actually. Um, I was in London, so at that point now I'd go to London with Compo, my best mate, who's straight, but like loved going to the gay bars. So you now have a wingman. You yeah, didn't like yeah, being on your own. Yeah, yeah, which, which was great because. Um, like, he, he, he just loved to go and have a drink. He said, he used to find, going to the gay bar, he said, nobody wants to fight, there's no attitude. Like, coming from the Ronda and I, like, everybody <laughs> fights in the pubs. He's like, nobody wants to fight. This is, this is amazing, a great night out. Yeah, but did he see all the stuff like people wanking in your No, no, so what we found then, but we bumped into this, um, this guy who he knew from up the Ronda, who's, like, openly gay up there. Um, and uh, he didn't know I was gay, this guy from Ronda. So me and Compo walked past him, and he's like, why are you doing it in Soho? And Compo's going, we're looking for some pubs. <laughs> and winking at, and like winking at him. And, and Percy, the guy, was literally going, why are you winking at me, folks? He just didn't get it. And he said, oh, where do you go from here? And Percy was saying, oh, there's, um, there's this, like, bar or club called uh, XXL. And, and Compo was going, like, where is it? <laughs> wait, wait. And Percy's like, Percy's like, well, you don't need to know where it is. What are you two going for? <laughs> so in the end, we finally told him, and I literally remember walking into this club XXL, and there was like about a thousand men, um, tops off, um, as we said earlier, like hairy sacks, backs, and cracks, um, <laughs> everything on show, um, all like, kinds of guys. Yeah, yeah, but. For the first time ever, like, I stood in this room and there was people dancing, enjoying themselves, um, smiling, laughing. And I just thought to myself, holy shit, like life can be good. Like you can actually have like a life as a gay man, just like I could have had a life as a straight man. Oh, like brilliant. that life all of a brilliant. sudden would be, would be similar. It's like you can have friends, like I could have friends, like mates. Who were gay. Yeah, who were gay. Like, it didn't have to shag them. I could actually have real friends. <laughs> and guys that you wanted to shag yeah, as well. Yeah, it was, honestly, and, but I, I, it was, it was about, we, we, and then I used to go there then. We used to go up quite, uh, up quite regular. Um, and I'll, I'll always remember, and uh, my mate won't mind me saying this, so I got a really good friend who came up with me again. And so he was, he's straight, a rugby player mate of mine. I won't say his name. Yeah, a lot of straight men who were happy I, to go I know, I know, they like it. So I took him to XXL once. Now, I'd never, right, I'd gone about five or six times, and I'd never gone in the dark room, like, ever. And, um... But you knew it was there, but you were But I knew it was there, but I was like, oh, hang on now, like, let, let not run before I can walk. So literally, and this is genuine, it's not like, it's no bullshit story. So literally, he, um, 
he went to go to the toilet and he was gone like a while. Um, so I was walking past and he walked past like the door to the dark room and he walked out and I was like, what are you doing in there? You went to the toilet. He said, no, literally, I went in it to take a piss. He said, I've been standing there for the last 20 minutes. He said, I've just had one guy on each nipple chewing my nipples. <laughs> he said, I just stood there. He said, my wife will never do it with me. So he said, I just stood there. It was amazing. I said, <laughs> so were you in there like a rat of adrenaline? I was like, oh, shit. So, um, yeah, so that, that was like my first experience of knowing that the dark room is in there was the fact that my straight mate was in there for 20 minutes having his nipples tweaked. <laughs> so when did you have a sexual experience that you didn't feel repulsed by? Was I, it in XXL? Or? Um, yeah, actually, I, I like... There's a guy who I, I, I probably, like, fell for in a, in a way of... Well, this is the first person who I could like imagine kissing, and imagine having like a. Oh a, yeah, so you've had these sexual experiences, but there's not been. I, I, I never though. kissed. I never kissed a man like, um, and all of a sudden, because I think of where the journey I'd gone on to get to this point, um, it, it felt like I was kind of ready, ready for it, um, and it's kind of like a bittersweet thing because I ended up, kind of falling, not falling heavily, but falling for this guy, but then realizing that about like two or three months later that this guy actually was in a relationship but they had like an open relationship so all of a sudden then I'm learning more about like the relationships within the gay world seem to be a lot a lot a lot different and a lot more open and well some are but some yeah I know mate yeah and, and they're probably the same in 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 the straight world but it just seems that you know, for me again, learning about the gay scene and and how it, how it worked, all of a sudden I was kind of like, all right, okay, so you got to watch, you got to be maybe more careful about maybe who you fall for, who it's you don't fall in, for. Isn't there? It, Open mate, relationships, fucking, dark. Oh, but it, it's like yeah, it's a fucking, it's a never ending, it's a never ending thing. But what I feel like I quickly learned then is that you know people are just doing what makes them fucking happy. Yeah, like yeah, people yeah. are literally, it's quite. I think when you get to a point, and a lot of people will have hidden their sexuality, of accepting it, it's all about fucking liberation, and, and like, do you know what, doing what fucking makes you, it's not selfish to do what makes you happy. I know. It's really not. Yeah. If the person that you're with kind of has an understanding of why and what you're doing, then that's fine. It's not, it's not a selfish act. Um, and something that, like I say, I, I, I learned then, and... You learn to not be selfish, but to really, you think, fuck, you know, I spent the last, like, 25 years of your life hiding who you are and not really being to express yourself. You know, don't leave anything for chance. Just just express yourself and enjoy it. What was it, sorry, you know you said about falling in love with this guy? What was it like when you, you, you first kissed with him? Because you said you hadn't had a kiss before. Um, it, it, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was... It was interesting and it was lovely. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Because, <laughs> As opposed to hot. Because or... like kissing somebody who's got like a goatee <laughs> is, you know, it's very, just, you know, when you're only used to kissing a woman before and all of a sudden you're used to kissing someone who's got a goatee, it's a very different experience. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, but again, the whole experience of actually, like it's not, it's not a fake emotion anymore. You know, yeah. you, you don't love somebody or like attracted to somebody, all of a sudden there is like this this sexual chemistry which was had never been there before, really. This initial sexual chemistry that was actually really nice. There was like an energy that you could feed off. All of a sudden it was nice. Were there moments when you had wobbles and you found? Oh it fuck yeah! Oh my god yeah! You know, constantly. I don't like you say. I don't think you can go through all of that, like by saying I'm gay, right? And coming out in the Daily Mail and on the Attitude cover of magazine. That doesn't all of a sudden mean that I wake up the next morning and everything's all right. No. You know, it's just the start. It's just the start of a process. And and many things I was going through were like all processes. And like any process, you have like really good highs. But then all of a sudden, something might come crashing down around you. And all of a sudden, you realize, shit, it's not as good as I thought it was. It's about finding a balance. So did you imagine when you were in the depths of your despair that this life where you're helping other people, where you're celebrated for who you are, your honesty, your gayness, and it's part of you, 
Um, did you, you know, you've been on the Ellen show, the Jonathan uh, Ross show. Did you imagine that that life could exist? No, and, and I did, I not only never imagined that at my lowest point, I kind of never imagined it ever in my life. Like I never imagined that something that I hated so much about me because I felt that it was the one thing that would hold me back is, is, is actually something that, um, I'm really, really proud, um, to have as a part of me, really, if that's the way you want to put it. Um, and, you know, to know to know that I can live my life quite openly um, and honestly, um, I suppose it's something that I only ever, ever would have in my wildest dreams kind of imagined that it, it, it could be true. So to be able, say, to walk down the street in, in Bridgend Town, which is shit all and nothing to anybody else but to be able to walk down there as Gar Thomas the guy who used to represent the town the guy who's represented um his country the guy who's gay the guy who's done this now for all played under times all that kind of stuff and and still be looked upon as like a normal human being for me is phenomenal because I never want like I never and, and even to a point now like I I never want to be and I've never wanted to be on a pedestal. I, I always remember, and this is the one thing, when I came out, I was like, I only want to be the same as everybody else. Even if other people are putting you on Even the pedestal. Even if other people will. I all, I'm always grounded by, by everyone. And I make sure, you know, the set of friends that I trust and rely on when it comes to making big decisions are the friends who were there for me like 30 years ago because they've seen me through all of this. And, you know... I, I've I've had some like some great experience with like ridiculously famous people where I've gone to parties and whatever. But you know what? For me, a fucking pint with my dog by the fire with my real mates in a pub in the valley for me is the fucking ultimate night out. Give me a night out with fucking movie stars in LA and all that kind of shit that I've done. It's nothing compared to that, because that—that's you know—that's what I am, and that's who I will always be. And that's what you've got. Yeah, that's what I've got. And that's what you've got. Yeah, that's what, uh, but uh, do you know what I've got? I always had that before, but finally I've got that being me, and that's the fucking best part about being Gareth Thomas. Gareth Thomas, thank you very much. Thank you, bud. Gareth Thomas, there talking with me recently at his home in South Wales. There's nothing quite like a happy ending, is there? These podcasts are sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. Check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. I'll be back in a couple of weeks to let you know who my next special guest will be. For now, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Attitude Heroes. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.